All right. The next thing that I would like to do this, this early afternoon is I would like to take a moment to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and for those of you that don't know, I'd like to start off by expressing my gratitude to our city's city council, because what you may not know is our city council officially uh, passed into law and voted to make Martin Luther King Jr. an official holiday for our city. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And, uh, which, and you might not have known that it wasn't, actually, but it wasn't. Even though it's a national holiday, our city up until this point had not recognized it for city employees. And so city employees will actually receive the, the, uh, the day, a paid day off in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. And I think that's a fantastic decision. In 1983, President Ronald Reagan officially signed the holiday of Martin Luther King Jr. into law. It's always the third Monday of January, and it recognizes the birth and the life of Martin Luther King Jr. Born in 1929, Martin Luther King Jr. was just 39 years old when he was shot in 1968. Today, or actually about five days ago on his birthday, the 15th, he would have celebrated his 90th birthday. Martin Luther King Jr. was America's most successful nonviolent civil rights activist, who fought not only to end racial segregation in our nation, but also to end poverty and oppression. And he saw poverty and oppression as correlated to so many of the issues that have plagued the minority communities in our nation. So he fought hard. Martin Luther King Jr. is only one of three people actually recognized as a national holiday, and he celebrates that together with Christopher Columbus and George Washington, for those of you that did not know. Most of us should know King's most famous final speech on the night or on the day before he was, being, he was shot while attending a peaceful march in Memphis. That message was titled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. If you don't know that sermon or message or speech, you should know it. It's absolutely incredible. But did you know that prior to that, a few years prior to that, on December 4th, 1966, Martin Luther King organized a massive campaign in Washington, D.C. called the Poor People's Campaign. It was in hopes to bring awareness and an end to poverty. Desegregation and the right to vote were essential, but Martin Luther King believed that African Americans and other minorities would never enter full citizenship until they had economic security and they needed to have an equal right and access to the same things that everybody else did so that they could get pulled up and out of poverty. I love that about him. But what I want to say to you is I believe racial segregation and racism is demonic. The nature and root of it is demonic. The fact that anybody could see somebody differently because of their ethnicity and the color of their skin is deeply rooted in the kingdom of darkness. And what I want you to know is that I am so grateful for the black community and what they've contributed to our nation and what they continue to contribute to our nation. I personally uh, was pretty distanced for the most part from racism, although, because I grew up in a small town in Missouri, but I had one really good black friend. I was still my friend today, but I do remember that my neighbor, they were racist, and they hated the fact that I would have my black friend over and we would play football, and many times the son would want to fight him, and I would stand in the way to, you know, keep him off my property, and I just was raised 
to always treat people equally and to love everybody no matter who they are. But to see that kind of racism and to, have, to know that it's still prevalent in our nation, it's still prevalent, prevalent in many places in our nation. And it's not just against blacks, it can be against uh, any race, any ethnic minority. And I fully believe that in the kingdom of God, there is no minority. There's no minority in the kingdom. And I believe that God, inside the heartbeat of God, is every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I believe and desire more than anything for our church to be racially diverse. And I want whoever God calls to come, no matter where you have come from or what you're going through or even what you believe to be able to come. We've had a lot of pretty out there people visit Rock City Church and some have stayed. I'm not kidding from cross-dressers and transgenders to homosexual couples, wherever they've come from. The thing is, this is a safe house for people to come and find Jesus. And there may be some things initially that we don't agree on together, but we can agree to disagree and keep our eyes on Jesus and let what Jesus does best, let him do that. I fully believe in the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman, and I don't believe that gay marriage is okay in God's sight. But I don't bash it down people's throats. I make my position clear and then I teach you about Jesus and I love you really, really well because it's love that covers a multitude of sins and transforms people's lives. And it doesn't mean that I compromise or I have sloppy grace. If you know my heart, if you know me well enough, you know that I love really well. If a man can come here wearing high-heeled platform stripper shoes for three years, you should know that I love really well. Most churches would not have been okay with that. Eventually we have the talk. Men don't wear women's high-heeled platform stripper shoes. I'd like to ask you to please consider not wearing them, and he never came back. But I loved him really, really, really well, and my heart was sad. But whoever needs Jesus can find Jesus here, and we can lay down our differences, and we can stand firm on the Bible, and sometimes we may agree to disagree, but when it comes to racism, it doesn't stand in the house of God, and it should not stand in the kingdom of God in any way, shape, or form. I don't believe it's a prevalent issue here, but just like I would think that somebody would never have an issue with a, a woman being a pastor, it can happen. And I want to say thank you to this church for how you love so well. I want to say thank you for supporting women in ministry, for not being racist, for loving everybody equally, and also not forgetting what's happened in our country. It doesn't mean that I have forgotten what our nation has done. And there are places you can still go all over America and racism is alive and well, and I hate it. So the best thing that we can do is crucify it, kill it, not be it, and speak life and healing and forgiveness to those that have suffered oppression and to move forward strong and to build a strong unified kingdom all over the face of the earth because it doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. It shouldn't anyway. And there are people that call themselves Christians that are racist and that is idiotic and demonic in nature. So we just call it out for what it is and we make sure our hearts are healthy and we love really well. And I'm thankful for Dr. Martin Luther King for paving the way and not being afraid to publicly make his voice heard even if it costs him his life. And now his legacy lives on stronger than before and we get to carry that torch forward in the kingdom of God regardless of the color of our skin. We love well and we reflect Jesus accurately in everything we do. Amen? That's it. Thank you, Dr. Martin Luther King, for what you've done for our nation and what you've done for us. I'm so incredibly grateful for his life.
Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for Corpus Christi, and I thank you for everybody that's watching online all over the world. Thank you, God, that your eyes are on our city, the body of Christ, Texas, and I pray, Lord, that every church in this city and even all over the world would experience true life and revival and an outpouring of your spirit that transforms communities and nations and drives back the demonic social injustices of racism. I thank you, Lord God, that you are on the move in every community in this city. And I thank you, Lord God, that you drive back poverty and oppression by bringing life transformation, by bringing faith and confidence and bringing people like ourselves to love and serve and give and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I thank you so much, Lord God, for the diversity of people that come to this church and the more that are coming. I thank you, Lord, that even though we may have a lot of different doctrinal uh, belief systems and thought patterns and philosophies, that, Lord, you can unite us by your spirit and cause us to line up to your word and to truly become one just like you and the Father are one. I thank you so much, Lord, for unity, and I pray, God, for everybody that's watching that they would be able to find true family right where they're at. I pray, Lord, that you would set the solitary into family and that, Lord, you would create more families that accurately reflect your heart all over the world. Thank you, Lord, that you're a good father and that you love us so much. And we're so fired up that we get to be your children. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that we get to be alive during such an incredible time as this. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you. And we thank you, Lord, for our nation. Lord, you know who the right people are that need to be in a position of power and government rule to vote right laws that are according to your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would vote accordingly, and I pray, God, that we would stand up biblically for your truth and vote for those that stand up for life. And I thank you, Lord, that you're producing new life in your church all over the world to rise up, make their voice heard, and to not be silent, especially when it becomes, comes to government and politics but to most importantly, accurately reflect you, get people born again and spirit-led in every decision they make and how they live their lives, in our marriages, with our children, in our work, in everything that we put our voice to and make our voice heard. We love you, and I thank you, God, for covering this family and protecting us, and that we will not be silent. We will not be silent. We will not be silent. We will fight for injustice, fight for the fatherless, fight for the oppressed, fight for the voiceless, fight for those that have no hope, and we will fight for life to end abortion in our nation. That's what we'll fight for, Lord, and we'll do it boldly, and we'll do it with a strong, confident love for you and others. Drive back and end human trafficking, Lord. Drive back the pimps. Drive back the pedophiles. Drive back the drug dealers. Put an end to the darkness and let us bring light into it everywhere we go and never give up or back down. And I thank you, Lord, that the city gates and the territory belongs to you and that it's a part of our covenant inheritance to all the patriarchs, all the forefathers. Lord, we declare Corpus Christi belongs to you. It's the body of Christ. It's your city. Have your way and raise us up and cause us to reproduce sons and daughters. Cause us to reproduce, Lord. And I thank you, God, for strong families and strong marriages. And I come against division at the home. I come against division between spouses and personality differences and being defensive. I pray, Lord God, that we would lay our lives down for one another, no matter what the cost. Help us, Lord, 
to truly do what you did, Jesus, and to love the way that you love. And I bless this church and everybody watching right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, to kind of set the stage for this message, my heart as a, as a pastor and a shepherd for your life and for this church is to teach you a lot of different things about the Lord over the course of time. My heart is to demonstrate the fullness of his character and nature and who he is and to do it in a lot of different ways. God does a lot of different things a lot of different ways, right? And what I don't ever want to do is get caught into one box of one thing. And this church will be ineffective if we don't walk in the supernatural power of God and allow Jesus to do what Jesus does best. Sometimes I teach messages that are more fatherly, that are more visionary, that talk about the culture of this church, like on Wednesday nights. Some Wednesday nights, we go full-scale after prophecy, laying hands on the sick, busting up demons, baptizing people in the Holy Spirit, and we make no qualms about it. People need lightning strikes from the Lord to transform them. They need experiences and encounters, and they need to see the very active, tangible presence of God in their life consistently. Otherwise, you're going to have a nice religion, and you'll have a form of godliness, but there'll be no power. And that's a disdain. Who wants to go to a church like that? Not me. I want a church that's alive. I want a church that's full of faith, full of the Spirit. But I also want a church that's well-grounded in the Word, that understands what the patriarchs did and understands the example of the Old Testament and the Israelites and how God moved in their lives. But to really know Jesus for who he is today, to not be in love with a religion or a, a form of religion or faith or a church, but to be in love with a man. I'm in love with a man. His name's Jesus. He's a reality. He's not a placebo pill. It's not a nice thing to do. It's a very, he's a very tangible, real person and spirit in my life that leads, guides, comforts, and directs, and constantly helps me through my struggles and my challenges. There are a lot of very core themes when it comes to my life and the messages that I teach you. But some of the most important ones are identity. Who are you? as a son and daughter? And what are the benefits that you get when you come into the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be a child of God? What is his character and nature like as a father? Because if you don't understand his character and nature and that he's a good father and that he loves you and he never gives up on you and he always cares for you and he always is standing with open arms, even if he disciplines you as a son. I love my children so much, but I still have to discipline them and teach them when they make poor choices that could harm them or harm others. But I always have compassion and grace and love and mercy for them always, no matter how I discipline them. And I never want my children to feel like they can't come to me, ever. I don't want my children to feel like they have to run away if they're in trouble. I don't want that. So I try to have conversations, but there are also times where I have to really discipline them. And it's not comfortable for them or for me. But I want my children to know how much I love them and that I'm approachable no matter what they do. It's like on the worship team. Sometimes you'll see me up there and my kids will sneak around the back of the stage and come up behind the percussion with me. That never, ever, ever bothers me. Because one, I'm not really that concerned what everybody thinks. Kind of the older you get, the less concerned you are about what everybody thinks about you, right? It's not about image. It's not about trying to be something I'm not. It's about family. 
And so my kids need to learn that I'm approachable. And at the same time, if they want to learn how to play instruments and worship, they get to see you worship. They get to see me worship. And I remind them, and they're excited about that. Isn't that a good thing, right? And so it's so important that you understand the character and the nature of the Father's heart. It's so important to me. Other very important things for me are to teach you how to be spirit-led and to hear God's voice at all times. Because when you don't hear God's voice, you harden your heart. And then you become obstinate and rebellious. And then you wind up like the Israelites did in the desert. Everybody over 20, that is, who perished in the wilderness. So learning to hear God's voice and make right choices and be obedient, those are important to me. Worship, being extravagant, passionate, the supernatural, I love all those things. But there's a consistent common thing that I always return to as your shepherd and as your pastor and that is the, the love and the care and the compassion that God has for you. Because if you don't understand it, you will find yourself isolated, retreating, lost, full of shame, and you will constantly live this life contrary to the life God wanted you to live. It's a life beat down, broke, busted, disgusted, full of shame, full of sin, and you don't know how to approach God. And sometimes that happens. I want you to know that God is compassionate and caring and loving and merciful and doesn't deal with you according to what you deserve. Because what you deserve is usually harsh punishment, really bad consequences, but God in his mercy and his grace constantly covers you. I want you to know that. That's why I preached last week's message. If you didn't hear last week's message, I want to really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's called Greatest Thy Faithfulness. And we talked about the greatness and the kindness and the mercy and the love of the Lord. And we talked about what happens when you fail. Because as I've told you, I have failed many times in my life. And some of you have failed a lot too, right? Lots of mistakes, lots of shortcomings. And I've learned the goodness of the Lord through many, many failures. But at some point, the failures become less. And at some point, the things you once did, you don't do anymore. But if you don't have the tools and resources biblically and know how to respond to God when you fall short, you'll constantly live in hiding and retreat. Right? So I talked about though a righteous man fails seven times, what does he do? He rises up again. Why does he rise up again? Because when Jesus is inside of your life, he's always there to lift you up. But when you're not born again and you don't have Jesus in your life, you have no one there to lift you up. So when people plot wickedness or calamity, especially against God's people, they fall, but they don't get back up. But for, for us, when we make mistakes or fail or fall short, Jesus is always there to lift you up. I know that from personal experience. He's never given up. As long as you have breath in you and you're hearing my voice, he's not giving up on you. He's not going to give up on you, no matter what you're going through. And when you fail, no matter how many times, many times, he can always lift you up out of it. Amen? So yes, God is faithful. He's kind. He's loving. He's long-suffering. He's quick to forgive, slow to anger. He doesn't deal with you according to your sins. He's full of compassion. He's merciful every day. And he's incredibly faithful. Great is his faithfulness. But with his faithfulness towards us continuously, there has to come a response from us. This is the other side of the coin. The one side of the coin is God consistently loves no matter what. And the other side of the coin is, is I respond to that love. I respond by how I live and how I love him and others. 
But there are times when you feel as though you have nothing to give and can't seem to respond. Have you ever been in a place where you feel like, I don't know where to turn, I don't know what to do, and I bombed it so bad, I have no way, I have no idea how to get out. Has the darkness ever overwhelmed you so much so that you didn't even know what to say? Depression, fear, and then the lies of the enemy come in to tell you your life's not even valuable, you should kill yourself. That happens to a lot of people. And I know some of you here today are really doing great. Hopefully a lot of you, most of us are really on track and we're flamed on and we're really disciplined, doing great. But even the Apostle Paul said, if anybody thinks they stand, they should take heed lest they fall. What he's not saying is, if you think you're standing, you better watch out because you're gonna fall. That's not what he's saying. The heartbeat of the Lord is for us not to keep falling. But it can happen. And what he says is take heed. What that means is be extra diligent, extra alert, and paying extra attention because the enemy roams around like a roaring lion to devour you. There's a constant devil who hates you and he always wants to destroy you and he works on overtime. The devil doesn't have a part-time job, right? Right? So that's why we should always take heed, which means to pay attention, be aware, be sober-minded, be diligent in everything that you do. Because there's a liar and a thief that wants to lie to you and rob from you on a daily basis, right? So it's important to know that God never gives up on you no matter what you're facing. He always loves you, but we have to have a right response. We have to have a right response. Sometimes you don't know what that is. The darkness is so prevalent around your life, you, you don't know what to do. Depression, mental health issues, fear, worry, doubt, anxiety, and sometimes we're the ones that opened up the door to the, Lord, to the enemy so much that he's just wreaking havoc in our life. You know, the worst thing for me was when I knew better and I kept doing what I shouldn't do. Am I the only one? But then I continuously, repeatedly do it. And what I learned from my past is when I continued to stay obstinate, I allowed that darkness to continue to rule my life and then fear and lies and worry and anxiety. David described it in Psalm 51 as my sins always before me. He had murdered Uriah's husband. He had committed adultery, or or, uh, Bathsheba's husband. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He got busted and he he penned Psalm 51. One of my favorite Psalms in my most darkest hours of understanding the kindness and the mercy and the grace and the restoration of the Lord. I encourage you to read it, Psalm 51. It's a common go-to. And in Psalm 51, David says, restore a right, uh, renew and restore. Create in me a clean heart, Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. It says, create me new. How many of you need to be created new in the midst of your most darkest times? So David would cry out to the Lord. And David would say, my sin's always before you. Do you ever feel like your sin is always before you? Do you ever feel like your failures and your shortcomings and the darkness is always constantly plaguing your life? Now, I know some of you say, I don't feel that way anymore. Praise the Lord for that. Take heed. But if we're doing what we're supposed to doing, we're constantly reaching the hopeless, the hurting, the broken, and those that are living in the darkness that have no way to get out. We always have to keep our minds and hearts set on the fact that most people don't know what to do in the midst of failures and shortcomings, which is why I preached last week's message. 
Some of us have a seared conscience. You know what a seared conscience is? A seared conscience is when I stay obstinate and repeatedly live in a world of disobedience against God's commands over a long period of time, so much so that my conscience gets fried and I have no idea the difference between right and wrong anymore. I'm seared. So now I have no concept of God's standard. And I just completely live for myself and I live contrary to God's plan and design. That's a seared conscience. I don't know what's right and wrong. Or some of us have gotten shipwrecked. You know what it means to be shipwrecked? To be shipwrecked is a nautical term. Basically, your compass got broken and you got off track. And then you got stranded on an island. Another great way to say it is, I set my course with the Lord, but through hardship and storms and adversity and problems in my marriage or finances or home or bad decision-making, what happens? The current and the storms of life pushed me off course, and now I got stranded on an island. And most people, when they get stranded, become islands unto themselves. They never get off. You know anybody that's stranded on an island and isolated by themselves? I know a lot of people like that. But in the midst of all of those things I just described, God always makes a way. You are never without hope. You are never without hope. God always makes a way where there seems to be no way, no matter how much you bomb it or fail. And I don't want your conscience to be seared, and I don't want you to get shipwrecked, and I don't want your sin to always be before you. But if you ever find yourself in those places, never, ever forget that God makes a way where there is no way. I never want you to forget that. And I want to give you the tools to run to him, not from him. Because you may have had a dad that beat you, that rejected you, that pushed you away, but that's not our heavenly father. He stands with open arms. That's why I say to so many of you, I don't care what you do, just never give up. I mean, I care what you do, but don't back down. I've had people in this church slander me on Facebook, slander me behind my back, say negative things about this church. They were here. We didn't do something the way they wanted to. They got angry and offended. They left. They ripped us a new one on social media. And then after a short amount of time, they come back. And do you know what I do? I said, come here and give me a big hug. Because I already know hurting people hurt people. And most of the time when somebody's hurting, they manifest against the ones they love the most. And if I took it personal, I would be a mean, angry, jaded pastor. But instead, I see through God's eyes. And then I say, listen, your flesh isn't going to do you any good. you got to stop getting in the flesh. Stay in the spirit. And don't ever give up. Keep coming, keep worshiping, and stay in community. And then it's important and imperative for us as a family that we build a relationship that's built on love and honor instead of weird religious things that measures well and doesn't say, you know what, it's okay that you cheated on your wife or had adultery or you went with the prostitute or that you still, you know, doing the things that are destructive. I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm loving you and I'm covering you in it. And I'm saying, come on, there's a better way. We can pull you out of it. Yeah. Jesus makes a way, a better way. There are literally people that, have, that make so much money selling drugs and they have no work skill. So to just instantly stop it, they don't know what to do. So if they don't get their eyes on Jesus and start to trust that God has a better way for them, they'll stay the same. You've got to show people that there's a better way. There's always a better way. And Jesus always makes a way where there seems to be no way. He knows how to get you off the island. 
He knows how to get you out of darkness. He knows how to pull you out of the pit. He knows how to restore your soul. He knows how to set you free from bondage. He's already made a way. He made a way through himself on the cross. He made a way when he gave his life for you because he loves you so much. He is the way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way is not a program. The way is a person, and his name's Jesus. Not only did he make a way, but he always has a way for you to come out of it. And I'll always speak that, and I'll always say that. You know why? Because a lot of hurting and broken people are going to be coming here. And for those of us that have overcome and are stronger and mature and we're not doing the things we once did, I need you to be able to look left and look right and get on the prayer partner team and give a hand up instead of just a hand out. I need you to get healthy so that you can help other people to get healthy. And once you get healthy, you can't sit back and be silent. you got to do something about it, right? Because there's a lot of hurting, broken, fatherless families out there that desperately need what we have to offer. They desperately need Jesus, right? For all of us, especially those who have made the decision to be a part of the way, we have to remember two things. I'm going to share with you one of the most outstanding scriptures in the Bible that you need to memorize and never forget, okay? It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. I love, love, love this verse because this verse basically says that the firm foundation of God is written or sealed with a signet ring authenticated, proven, and trustworthy with these two things. Number one, God recognizes or knows those that belong to him. You know what that means? That means when you give your life to Jesus, God has an intimate knowledge together with you, like a husband and a wife would have together in intimacy. And you say, well, God doesn't, doesn't God know everybody and have an intimate knowledge of everybody? Yes and no. Because when you come into communion and relationship within, there's something unique that happens. First, you become part of a family. Second of all, you, become, you come into this intimate place where now I'm not hiding myself anymore. Because prior to me knowing the Lord, I was in hiding. Ashamed, afraid, worried. I had misconceived ideas of who he was. But when you understand that the foundation of God is sealed with this promise... When you give your life to the Lord, he knows you intimately. And it means that I don't have to run or hide or walk in shame anymore. I mean, the big premise of everything I'm telling you today and consistently here is stop walking in shame. Did you really bomb it? Will you really have forgiveness and freedom? And the more forgiveness you experience from the Lord and more of his love, the less bombing it should happen in your life. It's a, it has to happen. It's what the Lord does. The more I worship, the more I trust him, the more I love him, the more I give my all to him, the more I change and become transformed to become like him. And that's why the next verses, or the next part of the scripture is so important. Not only does God recognize those that are his, but everyone who worships the name of the Lord Jesus must forsake wickedness. Now, let me help you to understand this. First of all, wickedness and worship do not coincide or coexist. They don't, they don't, it doesn't work. You can't 
live worshiping the king of all truth and live in a lie. You can't come to the Lord and, and worship him for everything of who he is and then live like the devil. Now, I know the question is, but what about when I bombed it last night or this morning and I come to him to worship him and I come to church because I need him? I'm not talking about that. That's why I tell you, never, ever, ever, ever stop worshiping because you know what happens? Worship drives back wickedness. One's way more powerful than the other. Because what I'm saying is, Lord, I give you my best and I give you my all, and I don't actually want that anymore. Because people are going to come here and process and battle drug addiction and alcoholism and pornography for extended, some longer than others. I don't know how long. But here's what I know, is if you will consistently worship, God has this way of driving back injustices and wickedness in your life. But you, it's a heart posture. It's a heart issue. Yeah. The issue is, Lord, I'm worshiping you because I don't want that anymore. Right. Come on. Lord, I'm tired of living that way. I yeah. desperately yeah. need you. Yeah. It's not saying, Lord, I worship you. You're so good. You're giving me so many hookups and extra drugs and extra alcohol. And man, my party life is awesome. Woo! Right. You know it that's, doesn't make sense. What I'm saying to you is this. When we worship, it puts us in a posture and position to forsake wickedness. When we worship, it transforms us to become like him because we're saying, Lord, I'm so desperate. You're my number one more than anything else. So that's why if you watch me, and you don't have to watch me, but if you do, I'm pretty extravagant in my worship. Now, I've gotten a little older, so I'm not as wild as I used to be, but I still really love to be expressive in worship. Do you know why I'm so passionate in worship? Because I'm so desperate. Right. Don't think for one second I'm walking here going, oh, yeah, I got it all together. I've been living perfect and upright and God's so good and everything's going just right. Therefore, woo! I mean, we can all worship in times of breakthrough. Right. Yeah. Right. But I've learned to worship at all times, especially when I'm desperate. Yeah. So I'm extravagant and I never stop worshiping because I'm so desperate. And I already know I hate wickedness. And by the way, just to help you all, Wickedness is defined as anything contrary to God's commandments for your life or desire for your life. Wickedness can be how you treat your spouse. Wickedness can be how you deal with a, a coworker or an employee. Wickedness can be all the normal things we think about, lying, stealing, cheating, hurting, abusing. Really, wickedness is defined as an injustice. But everything that is not according to God's desire is considered an injustice, Right? So we just need to self-deprecate and not say, well, I'm not as bad as somebody else is. I'm not really that wicked. It's just a little few white lies. It's like, look, it's all wickedness. As I worship the Lord, I'm saying I'm forsaking that. That's why I'm going to tell you something. God loves you so much. He's been so good and so merciful. You should worship your faces off every time you come in. Stop believing the misconceived idea. And I know some of you were raised in real staunch religious backgrounds. But at some point, you have to take those traditions of how you were raised and say, Lord, I'm going to embrace the new thing no matter what it looks like. We can't stay stuck in where we were. If it's not producing life and life change and passion and transformation, and if it's not authentic, it's not going to change your life. For me, for my kids, I want my kids 
Can you imagine my kids get to see a mom and dad fired up for the Lord, worshiping and celebrating the goodness of God all the days of their life? That's incredible. When a father gets born again, 97% of the family home gets born again. The 97% of a chance that the family gets born again. The greatest epidemic in our nation today is fatherlessness. So what we teach our children is not necessarily that we don't have conflict. If you know Amber and I, sparks fly. And it makes some people feel uncomfortable when they're around us. They're like, we're just getting at it. But we're not cussing and yelling, although she feels like I'm yelling sometimes. Really, I'm just talking like this right now. Stop yelling. I'm like, I'm not yelling. <laughs> but I'm not beating her, cussing at her. And sometimes our kids see it, see the conflict. And they're like, oh, you guys stop fighting and stop arguing. I'm like, hang on, wait a minute, pause. We pause our argument for a minute. Then I look at my kids and I say, let me tell you something. I love her to no end and we're going to forgive. And it's important that you understand that we don't always see eye to eye, but we are always quick to forgive. So we're teaching our children forgiveness and kindness and mercy in our home. And we're not running from conflict. The last thing that we need is a bunch of entitled people that are fear, fearful all the time and don't know how to deal with conflict resolution. Get some conflict resolution. Thicken up your skin a little bit. It's going to be all right. Because I'm for her. She's for me. That's why it's a heart issue. So God knows you intimately already. He already's provided forgiveness on the cross. Why do you think running and continuing to do the same thing is okay? It's not. Because if you, if you worship the Lord and you want to keep living the way that you were, that's full-scale deception and hypocrisy, and it will kill you. And the whole world is watching how we live, right? Strippers can walk into this church and get born again, have no other outlet of how to make money, give their lives to Jesus, and still continue to go back to the club and strip. But now the conviction of God gets inside of them and the love of the Lord gets inside of them. Now the Lord begins to work on them to transform them. And instead of coming in and beating them over the head with a Bible, we love them and we celebrate them so they know that they can always come back and they always have a family that cares about them. Is strip dancing okay? No. Do we love the stripper? Yes. I used to drive by cheetahs and say, God, firebomb the place. And then God convicted me. And now I, I drive by and said, Jesus, thank you for your spirit, your power, your love. Show the dancers, the workers, the bartenders, and the bar owner how much you love and care about them. Same for the psychic. Because one day they're going to need Jesus as much as you did. Where are they going to go? And what are they going to see when they get here? Anybody? They're going to see your face. And what do they see? They see an addict that almost died several times that got free and born again and now is a son and flamed on and knows he's loved and now he's clean and sober and never wants to run back anymore. Somebody that will love him just like the, where they were at. Now they see a father. They see all kinds of people in different life stages. Some that have never been. And don't think for a second because you never went through it. You can't help those people. 
The greatest testimony on earth would be the testimony of somebody that never bombed it to the degree that most of us did. How many of you want that for your kids? I mean, let's just, I don't want my kids to go selling drugs and sleeping around and living in debauchery and hooked on porn and all the things that I did. I don't want that for them. And I'm gonna tell you right now, that's the greatest testimony. And, and that's the testimony that says, hey, you can, because I did. And so today, I want you to understand this. The foundation that we stand upon that is sealed with a signet ring in your life, he stamps your forehead with his name, is built on these two things. I know you, and I love you, and I care about you, and I'll never give up on you. He knows those that are his. What's most important is that you become his, not a form of religion or a nice Sunday morning church thing. You've got to be born again. You must be born again. It's not some cult weird thing that Van Halen sings about in a song. It's not some weird religion. You're not joining a program. To be born again is to hit the big giant reset button and say, Lord, I need a new start. I bombed it. I blew it. I failed it. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. And I'm tired of living the same. Reset and pow, the Holy Spirit comes into you and transforms you. And now you can't live the same anymore. And as much as you try to go back, conviction comes in and the Lord says, ah, that's not my best for you. Because for me, I would hit up the bars and the clubs and the dance. And it was all in the name of dancing. And I loved to dance. And then I was going to go to the clubs dancing and be sober. I was like, I had all my reasons of why it was okay to still keep clubbing after I came to Jesus. And the more I went, the more I saw the darkness. And I'll never forget, I went to a disco club. Yes, a disco club. My wife knows nothing about that. And I'm busting it up to Saturday Night Fever and the Bee Gees. And I'm a Christian and I'm born again. And it's like the Lord lifted this veil. And I could see in the spirit for the first time what I never saw before. I had a revelation. This is not where I belong. <laughs> it was pretty straightforward. And I told you the story. I'd go to these, these reggae clubs that I used to play in, in the uh, reggae band with. And, man, we'd be dancing to some, some awesome reggae music in Miami and Coconut Grove. And the margaritas are flowing. And the coconuts are bouncing. And the full moon's shining. And the, on the trees. I'm talking about coconuts on trees. <coughs> wow. This is what happens when I just let myself go. It's like, where are we going? And I mean, I'm sweating, drinking Coronas and margaritas, and it is like awesome. And I'm born again. And I had this open heaven vision in the bar. It was a real, real life vision. I heard the sound of a trumpet. And it went, outside of the bar. And my hair stood up on end. And everything froze. In the, everybody stopped in their positions of dancing and everything. It was like frozen in time. And a light, the brightest light came out to the street. I didn't, couldn't see what it was. And the light shined into the windows of the bar. And I was terrified. You know why I was terrified? Because <laughs> I was busted at the wrong place. That's not where I want to be when Jesus comes back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, like, I don't want to be there. 
I'll never ever forget that. Let all those, everybody who worships the Lord must forsake wickedness. It doesn't mean that you instantly lay it all down or you can't worship. That's not what that means. What it means is always worship because it puts you in the position of forsaking wickedness. Worship drives back wickedness and then you say in your heart, it's a heart issue, Lord, I don't want to live in a compromising way. That's why everybody's free to worship here. There's no condemnation. Bombed it, blew it, whatever. But don't walk in shame. Come on. Come out of shame. No matter what you did last night or this morning, never give up and never back down. And don't come in here with a nice religious posture of how you were raised. Come in here and say, God, whatever it looks like is what I want. And I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. At some point, you just don't care. People come in and, Melissa's up in the front row dancing and being wild and crazy, and I love it, and I don't care what anybody else thinks because I know her, and she's so solid, so healthy, and a mother in this house, and her story of what she's, I know her story, but some people see her dancing and expressive, and somebody else may start running around like, what's that lady doing? Why is she dancing like that? This is a crazy church. I'm like, I love you, but if you're, there's the exit if you're going to be like that. I mean, really, I just don't care. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not about an image of trying to grow a big something that's popular and looks nice. It's about you laying down your preconceived ideas of what you think this is and make it what he wants. Yeah. Woo. We make it what he wants. It's not my thing. It's his thing. This is about him. Two inscriptions. He knows you. Stop running. Trust him. You don't ha- There's no shame. There's no shame. I used to have shame about my past. For years and years and years, I was in ministry, and I never told anybody I'd been to prison. I especially never told them that I had been married before. You know why? Because Christians can be the worst at judging and tearing down, and I was working for somebody else, but I still felt like, man, if people really knew, they may not like me the same. But see, actually, that's become part of my story and my testimony. And because of those things, I actually am the man that I am today, and I'm not the man that I was when those things happened. So I'm not defined by that. So if any of you here are ashamed about your past, let me be the first to self-deprecate. I'm coming out from hiding. I am what I am. Take me as I am. I'll take you as you are. I may not agree with everything you say or do or how you live, but I'm gonna love you well through it and I'll I'll encourage you and pray for you and strengthen you and then if you really wanna know, I'll tell you because you know what I've learned? Unsolicited advice is unheeded advice. You know how many people I see spinning out of control that I'm like, man, I already know by this. I'm gonna, I just want to dive in and correct you. And the Lord's like, doesn't work like that. Let me do what I do best. Because you're not mine. You're his. And then I come to the place where you, when you ask, you really want to know. 
And then usually when you ask, you're in the right place to hear what I have to say. Right? That's how I can be patient for years and years and years and love somebody right where they're at and not force them to change. And if they never came to the church, I'd still love them just the same. Because my love for somebody's not predicated on whether you came to my church or not. Jesus is the way. I, I can't give you a better gospel message to understand. You have access right now. He's the way maker. He makes a way where there is no way. He's always there. He never gives up. If you are breathing, you have another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance. And some of us have, have burned our get out of jail cards a thousand times. And he says, here's another, here's another, here's another. Right? <clears throat> so today we're going to worship in concluding this. And there's only certain people that can worship right now. You know who it is? It's all y'all. Yeah. Every one of you can worship right now. Because in your worship, you're saying, I'm defying wickedness. In your worship, you're saying, I don't want to be that way anymore. In your worship, you're saying, God, you're my out. Who needs an out? We always need an out. And the last thing I'll say to you before we sing is there were two people in Luke 18 that went into the temple to pray. One of them said, thank you, Lord, I'm so righteous. And the other one said, I'm a sinner, have mercy. And you know what Jesus said? He said, I'm gonna tell you a story to teach you to never trust yourself or your own righteousness. Let me tell you, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. Now, I'm not talking about my character in the context of would I steal money or cheat on my wife and I don't trust myself I could cheat on that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying to you is my trust is fully in him and not in my own goodness and my own ability because the self-righteous guy actually was doing a lot of right things but the problem was he'd become puffed up and said look how good I am never come to that place please do me a favor never come to that place it's total dependence it's total surrender all the days of your life. It's total desperation. I need you so bad. As much as I needed you 27 years ago, I'm never too mature or too staunch or too much of an adult. I'm not too proud. I'm not too haughty. I'm not too puffed up. I'm broken and desperate all the days of my life. And I run to his feet no matter how much he set me free. Because if I think I'm standing, I better take heed at all times. I'm taking heed to the king. No self-righteousness brokenness the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart so who wants to become an awesome sac who is broken and ready to come out who needs who needs to come out of the darkness right now who needs to get off the island right now who's felt alone and hopeless and thought your life's not valuable that you should take your life who's thought nobody cares Because there's somebody that cares about you. Then there's somebody that loves you. And he never gives up and he never fails you. And he'll never walk away from you all the days of your life. His name's Jesus. No matter how many times you find yourself, if you make your pit and bed, if you make your bed in hell, even there, he's there. Who is desperate today that's tired, frustrated, 
living in darkness and desperately needs to step into the light and be free and worship Him and forsake wickedness. If that's you, which is every one of us, let's stand and sing this song together. Come on.